Hey, I'm getting um getting better on the driving. Did you guys when you were um doing your lessons? The guy said the guy said I'm I'm one of the only ones I know that do this. He took me out to country roads hmm. around Liverpool. Made you park it's... up and um I'll give you extra credit yeah. if you uh, play with this gear stick. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it was a free lesson, it was fantastic. <laughs> it's like sometimes you might get rear-ended. So <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And this week we commence a new season as we look at some of the biggest films of 2023 and we put them on trial. And we start today with maybe the biggest of them all. That's right, we'll be putting Barbie on trial. Is it life in plastic, it's fantastic, or is it the plastic packaging tax of 2022, which applies at a rate of £210.82 per tonne on plastic packaging components with less than 30% recycled plastic, which are manufactured or imported into the UK. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Off the top of your head, stream of consciousness sort of stuff, isn't it? Essentially, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? Now, before we go on to the bulk of the trial, let's talk about our last film on trial, which was, to us anyway, 1995's action classic, Heat. I judged that trial and I deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. You did, You judged it. You didn't record it though, did you, Gav? You didn't. <laughs> uh, I, am, I am only one of three people to blame here. <laughs> I'm only 33% responsible for that. Basically, we recorded an entire episode and got to the very last fucking bit where I was saying, I'll see you in two weeks' time when we start a new season. And then we realised that we hadn't pressed record. (laughs) The show's a really good episode as well. It was such a good episode. I heard it was one of the best. It was was honestly the best. The musical number in the middle. Yeah. (laughs) Robert De Niro doing that phoning for us. It was just, yeah, it was was magical. Your insights into his performance made me cry. Yeah, Yeah, I haven't seen you cry like that since your wedding. It was absolutely (laughs) inspiring, to be honest. But I I think you mean your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was tears of blood coming from his head. Yeah, that was... was No, uh, anyway, it was a very good episode, but unfortunately, nobody will ever hear it because we don't fucking record it. But I did judge that trial and I deemed that Heat should be placed on the hit list. I have since gone away and I've watched Heat. And as I said, it's been the first time since about 1997 that I watched it. And actually, because I know it was a little bit on the fence, I could see a lot of what the prosecution was getting at with regards to it being a bit overlong and a bit rushed in some places with regards to the the heist scene and maybe some of the tension from that scene evaporating really because it was over and done with so quickly. And also maybe some of the characters not having a lot of time to develop properly because it spent so much time focusing on Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. But 
ultimately it was a brilliant film the action in it was absolutely amazing that whole bank heist scene mm. that was just tense enough for me really it was just so well filmed as well and you can see how it's gone on to inspire other directors and filmmakers since like watching it i was like this reminds me so much of the dark knight and then i did a bit of reading afterwards yeah. and obviously a lot of the dark knight was inspired by heat and it, it was just it, a fan. It, oh, it reminded me a lot of a dark night, but we, I'm guessing we had very different reactions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering why you were sticking the knife in so much. What about Al Pacino? I mean, what do you think of his performance? I think that like it was it was about eighty percent good, twenty percent shit. And wow, it, it was disagree with those. <laughs> it was was it the other way around for you? Oh, absolutely, the other yeah. way around. Yeah, I, I think that he was playing somebody on the at the end of their rope basically and a bit unhinged uh you know a, a bit of a, a loose cannon basically the method actor is he's been preparing for it for about 50 years <laughs> but I, th- I think it was a very good performance for a, a, a lot of it but there were some parts where he did go too unhinged like that whole scene that we always quote when he's like uh, she's got a great ass, and you got your head all the way up it. You know, it was just a little bit like, Hank, wow. Hank Azaria's face of just bafflement. And, yeah, yeah. yeah Hank Azaria in that scene, fair play for keeping a straight face, to be yeah. honest. But yeah, I, 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 I like, and the whole scene with him and Al Pacino meeting for the first time is just so well filmed, even if it wasn't Al Pacino and Robert De Niro acting alongside each other for the first time in a film, even if it was just two other actors, it still would have been a fantastic scene because of how well it was filmed and the tension that's built throughout it. But because it was those two, two of the greatest actors of all time meeting for the first time in a film, that, that scene was just amazing. Absolutely another level. So apologies, Alex, but I'm, I'm signing with Dave on that one. Anyway, that, that was a very long summary, but I felt like I had to give it a, a bit more of a longer summary than usual because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because of the complete lack of an episode. Anyway, now, now on to today's trial, which is, as I said before, the trial of Barbie. The trial, the trial of Barbie makes it sound like, like a witch trial, doesn't it, in Salem? Uh, <laughs> the trial of Barbie. Now, uh, all of the roles today have been picked out of the hat at random, and all of today's insults are descriptions of Barbie characters from barbiewiki.com. So, acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list is Dave. And Dave is just like Barbie's youngest sister, Chelsea. He's charming, silly, cute, and friendly. He has a childlike sense of wonder, and he believes in things like mermaids and fairies. I can't argue with any of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Chelsea are kindred spirits. And acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is Alex. And Alex is just like Barbie's friend, Midge. He wears less makeup, is more friendly than Barbie, and is less sexually intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Really? Is that the actual description on, on the Barbie wiki? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was made to be less sexually intimidating. Really? Are people sexually intimidated by Barbie? I know I am. <laughs> wow. And uh, joining <laughs> Alex today is me. And I'm just like Ken. I'm confident, loyal, a bit of a dreamer. And I base my appearance on Justin Bieber and Zac Efron. <laughs> <laughs> and a basic well dummy 
So <laughs> just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, however. So do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. And in the role of judge who has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, is Ozzy. And Ozzy is just like Barbie's younger sister, Skipper, or Malibu Skipper. They're a techno whiz, they love modern technology and music, and although they tend to be quiet, they do have a sarcastic and funny side and a very dry sense of humour. It's one of the nicer descriptions I've heard of of me from you. (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah and i'm mercilessly bullied by the rest of the barbie clan (laughs) anyway um now before we get started i think that we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about so let us spin the wheel of impressions okay so here what we do is we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film uh, this week, it has landed, as you can see, on Aussie. So how would we like Austin to read the synopsis? Um... Rio Perlman? <laughs> from, from Cheers, though. So. Uh, um, and what about Ken? Ken singing a, a love ballad? I mean, it makes sense. What about, no, what about, you know, like the, the guy in the Barbie song? Come on, Bobby. What about? What? <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, the bald guy from Aqua. The bald guy from Aqua, that's the one. Oh, no, actually, sing it as both <laughs> members of Barbie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh. Barbie and Ken are having the time of their lives. In the colorful and seemingly perfect world of Bobby. <laughs> However, when they get a chance to go to the real world, they soon discover the joys and perils of living among humans. I'd say that's the greatest yeah. effort anyone has made in our impressions. Absolutely. That's yeah. the best impression we've had in months, if not years. Absolutely <laughs> amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. And for, for all those who can't see, which is everybody, because this is an audio podcast, Ozzy has gone through an incredible effort today of wearing a bright pink Barbie snuddy. Uh, so part hoodie, part blanket, and he looks absolutely fabulous. So thank you for that <laughs> effort in, in the impression there, Ozzy. And thank you for your effort in your attire today. It's very, very well appreciated. Now, uh, not that I'm uh, sucking up to the judge in any way. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Would you please like to kick off proceedings? Yeah, Um well, I suppose the best best bet here is that it's sort of a two v one. So let's give the defense uh, the best starting place. Um, fire away! I suppose a little bit of a synopsis and uh, some, point out some of the really good good points which I need to uh, make note of. Okay, okay well, away. to give you a, a brief some synopsis of this, this is a film about. Barbie. You remember those little dolls that have been around since like the dawn of time, it feels like? They were certainly around <laughs> during our childhood. In truth, they've been around since 1959. That's not the dawn of time, I know. But this is a film about Barbie. And essentially, it's a bit of a satirical take on it. It's not just Barbie and Ken off having wacky adventures in Barbie world or that sort of thing. It's a very satirical look at the world of Barbie. And although it does start off in Barbie land, or is it Barbie world or Barbie land? Uh, 
Barbie Land. I've written down um, with Margot Robbie uh, as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken, and all these other this world populated by Barbies, this sort of matriarchal uh, society with uh, President Barbie and Doctor Barbie, and all these like great jobs and important positions for the Barbies and the Kens are kind of a little bit like second-class citizens in a lot, in many ways. They do. They're the kind of bimbos. They do. They got like beach Ken, and you got. You know, you don't. You don't see Kens being doctors or lawyers or doing anything overly uh, impressive in that in that regard. But it's quite a, a satirical take on the on the world of Barbie and Margot Robbie's Barbie, who I suppose you describe as kind of stereotypical Barbie, starts essentially having an existential crisis. Uh, starts thinking about her own mortality, and she starts finding flaws. You know, her, her feet drop. You know, she has flat feet and things like that. You know, little little nods like that. Essentially, she goes to speak to Weird Barbie, which is this great character played by Kate McKinnon, who's a Barbie that I suppose got played with a little too hard. You know, the kid kind of gave her a makeover and cut her hair and things like that. And Barbie's now a little bit messed up and bends the wrong way and what have you. And she tells her that the kid who's playing with her doll equivalent in the real world is going through this crisis. Is essentially what it is. So if she wants to get back to her old self, she's got to go into the real world transfer over and basically help this kid that's playing with her doll find themselves and improve their outlook on life so to speak now the twist being i'm just going to cut right to the chase here is that when she does find the girl whose doll um is who possesses her doll uh she doesn't play with barbie she thinks it's lame she thinks she's uh you know she pr- promotes false uh, beauty ideals or unachievable beauty ideals it says barbie's sexist it's it's a joke she kind of just tears into margot robbie in this quite <laughs> gut-wrenching scene and it's the girl's mom who used to play with the doll when she was a kid. She found it, she picked it up, she was kind of looking at it, and it's her feelings that have transferred through the doll and are now giving Barbie this existential crisis. So together, they've got to basically uh, help the mom, you know, deal with the pressures, I suppose you'd say, of womanhood. There's this amazing speech in there by America Ferreira, who plays Gloria, the mom, uh, where she just basically lays out all the things that all the pressures that women face in the world, you know, pressure from, from men, pressure from other women, pressure to be this, pressure not to be that, to do this. And, you know, she makes a very good point. This speech has gone down in the short year since the film came out has been uh, quoted often is quite a stirring speech. It's very well written in terms of the pressures of, of womanhood. Uh, and along with that, you've got a little subplot of Ryan Gosling's Ken who returns early, early to Barbie land, having been out in the real world um, and has got new ideas about masculinity and basically <laughs> launches a Ken-esque coup of Barbie land where the Kens take over and you know they're like things like power ballads and horses (laughs) and all the masculine things that Ken has discovered in the real world so there's that little subplot going on as well that is essentially the film it is a very satirical look whatever you expected from a film uh, about Barbie this probably wasn't what you had in mind it's intriguing to be honest with you and it's it's fascinating the way they've done it Greta Gerwig is the director and writer alongside her, her real life husband Noah Baumbach and together they've uh, concocted this this brilliant idea. This is a film that was in development for a few years, but please don't mistake that for development hell by any means. There were just there were a lot of ideas going around because there's a lot of paths that a Barbie movie could have gone down. And ultimately, in the end, it's like a fantasy novel. You know, it's very much a fantasy film. This is like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books where, you know, you solved everything. You collected all the right items. You got to the end. You got the best ending imaginable. They chose the right path on this one. It's uh, it's a lot smarter than you expect it to be. It's honestly uh, one of the smartest films of last year, I would say. Well, there we go. I mean, that's uh, actually sounds, sounds fantastic. So I'm going to pass it over to... Alex, I guess, are on prosecution. So it's an unexpected take. 
uh, brilliant idealist, incredibly clever. So the look on your face makes me think that um, that between the two of you, you've got a lot to say. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll I'll jump in if if that's okay on behalf of Alex. I think Alex just needs some time to compose himself because he looks so, <laughs> so irate. <laughs> so I I I believe what Dave was saying before that that all of the people involved in this project had a lot of love and passion for it, but I think ultimately they got a little carried away with it all. Dave said before that this film is not about Barbie and Ken having a laugh and lots of adventures together, but instead it's more of a satirical take on Barbie. And I think that is what the problem is with this film. The fact that it should be that it should be adventures. It should be fun and fantastical, but instead it's a little bit more serious than it should be. But my main issue with Barbie is that it is very, or feels very disjointed. There's far too much going on with the story. We've got essentially two major storylines competing for screen time and both losing out essentially, and multiple other plot points that feel very hurried or shooed in. But then there's also issues with the tone as well. A lot of the marketing and advertising of this film was pitched to young girls. So when I went to go and see it, and I imagine if any of you went to go and see it in the cinema as well, there were lots of children dressed in pink or, or dressed up like princesses or Barbies. And they were all expecting something like Frozen. I know a lot of my friends who went to go and see it with their little girls had the same issue in that they were expecting this Disney-like film but however, that's not really the movie that they got. <laughs> they got, as Dave was saying before, this satirical look or take on Barbie and uh, had some difficulties, my friends, explaining to their six-year-old girls what the patriarchy was after this film. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, this, this, also the advertising as well. I think the way that they did it, limited the number of men who went to go and see it as well. And I know that's an issue with the marketing and the advertising of this. And obviously there was always going to be a portion of incel idiots who would never go and see this film no matter what and would always shit on it, even if it was the best film ever made. But nearly 100% of my male friends didn't go to see this film in the cinema because they thought it was a quote, a girl's film, whatever, whatever that is. But although, you know, it did focus the film anyway on... on... Am I included in the 100% of your male friends? Well, did you go and see the cinema? No, but... Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I... I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to go and... Yeah, but I don't, I don't go and see a lot of cinema films at the cinema. <laughs> but... I, I went to see it at the cinema. Dave, you, you are you know why I said nearly 100%, because you're the only man who I know. Actually, I'm no, mit- RC is I'm the mitigating factor. <laughs> you and RC are the only not, two men not... I know went to go and see I know, but on cinema. this call, did you go to the cinema to see it? Yes. I went to go I mean, and see it the I'm day we <laughs> So it's actually three out of the four of us went to the cinema to go and see it. <laughs> I, 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 know, I, I'm I, I shouldn't be. I should. I shouldn't be. Uh... I went full Barbieheimer on it, or, uh, or up and Arby, I should say that was the order I did it in. Yeah. Well, that, oh, what I will say, oh, unfortunate for me, and regards to statistics, the two men who I know who went to go and see it are on this call. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I will assure you right now that I know more than four men. so like although the film focused on on demolishing the patriarchy and it it was very tongue-in-cheek sexist towards men it was a comedy film that i 
strongly believe that some men would have enjoyed if they actually would have gone to go and see it but i think it was just marketed a little wrong also the tone is a little imbalanced because of the pitching of the film to the right audience you've got lots of colorful comic book-esque images and some very silly and slapstick humor on one hand which i think young children can enjoy but then on the other hand you have very adult based humor a lot of double entendres and like sort of subtle hints to penises and, and, and whatnot, <laughs> you know, like, oh, uh, it, it just felt a little bit, hang, hang on, what the hell did they just say then? <laughs> then there's, there's issues with the cast as well, who are all very A-list, but all have very Z-list parts to play, with the exception of Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, obviously, but everybody else who's involved in this film doesn't really have a character. And all in all, this is a film that had a lot of potential, but just needed to be better delivered. You can see an example of how this film should and could have been delivered by watching the Lego movie. But this, for me, is a swing and a miss. Life in plastic, not so fantastic. Okay, well, we had a, a big, big comeback there. Uh, Dave, I'm going to let you have another little chance and then uh, let me pass it over to to Alex, see if he's Alex, got anything yeah. to come back on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Alex, uh, you, you remember Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just checking. I just wanted to make sure he did want to did want to go in after that was quite a heavy, all right, yeah. quite a heavy attack. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I see Gav's points on a lot of this, but I disagree with nearly all, all of it. You know, it's never too early in life to learn about the patriarchy. You know, it's, <laughs> if, you, if you don't know if you don't know it's coming, you can't you can't prepare yourself against it and steal yourself against it. Um, and I think the marketing, no matter how you market this film. They were never going to get droves of men in the watcher film about Barbie. You know, you can't undo, what is it, 60 years of marketing. You know, this was a toy that was marketed for girls. You know, this is uh, designed for young girls. That was just the way it was. And, you know, and I think the merchandising has pretty much stayed that way. You know, it's always been very feminine. Uh, you were never going to get many boys that interested in Barbie because of this. You were never going to get that many men who grew up with Barbie, you know, being that interested in this. It was, uh, it's just the way it was. But I think they actually got more boys and more men through the doors than they were expecting just because of the tone, even though maybe it might not have appealed to very young children, or but I think it does appeal to very young children. I think there's enough going on there. There are enough like jokes for the kids, enough references to the kids. Everything's pink and sparkly and fast paced and colorful enough that kids will have a great time watching this film, but there's also layers to it. There's also multiple layers to this where you've got a satirical edge where I think teenagers can go in and watch this film and take away one thing. I I think adults of an older age can go into this film and take away something else entirely. There are real layers of subtext going on here and real themes at the heart of this film. I think kids, whether they're very small, can enjoy this film right up to adults as well. I believe anybody will enjoy this film. Uh, it is fun. It is fantastical. Uh, and I think, honestly, this everyone, whether they went to the film to accompany someone else or whether it was for them in the first place, I think everyone came out of this having enjoyed it in some measure. There you go, and I'm going to pass that over to Alex because that was a nice short, short uh, comeback. Cool. You know, at the end of the day, this is there's an issue with the film in that it is an advert for Mattel. You know, Mattel sort of fund it, so it, it is a little, it is a little, it, it's it's a little restricted by that. But it does, Dave's right. You know, it does have themes, and it does. I think Dave's right. You can people can get quite a lot. Lots of people, different different people can go to Barbie and go and watch it men, women, I think anyone could go in and enjoy it. Uh, it does have something to say. Do you think the way it says it, I, I don't think sometimes, I don't I don't disagree with the point it's making. I just think sometimes the way it's saying it, 
it's a little self-aware at times and it, it sort of takes away from the sort of the immersion in the film I, I was at times watching the film just going like oh you know I agree with that or I agree with that point or agree with that point and it broke the immersion in the film and I think it was a shame I think I think I agree mostly with what Gav said when he said it's disjointed. I think the first half of the film, you've got this Barbie land and you've got the characters being set up. The kind of I, I what I really like is the rules are quite, you know, well done because obviously they're going from land to land. And, and, and I like the way that's set up. It's not overlooked at and, and it's quite fun. Towards the end, when it's sort of bringing these themes together, that's where I think the film sort of loses it a little bit. I mean, Dave said the speech is good and it is a hell of a speech. It is a really good speech. And again, I agreed with everything that was in the speech. However, I was watching the film and I felt like as much as I agreed with the speech and thought it was fantastic, I, I, I felt like it broke the immersion because I very much felt that it was someone saying things to me in, a, in the form of a speech, which again, didn't disagree with any of it and thought it was really interesting. And I think it should be remembered. But for me, I was like, right, okay, we're just saying these things out loud. And then when there's the sort of final showdown with Ken, when you're talking about, you know, he's tried to make Barbie land into the patriarch and he's tried to make, and, and, and all of this, um, I just felt like it completely lost it. And then Rhea Perlman sort of walks on as this sort of deus ex god. And it, it was just, it was just an odd way to, to, to end the film. So as much as I kind of agree with everything Dave was saying, I just think, the points became lost and and I got a little bored in the back half of this film just because it, it sort of just was too self-aware for it for a film that I could enjoy it. So as much as I agreed the hell out of it with this film, by the end of it, I, I just wasn't in it. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't. And I think that 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 lost inevitably in a film when you're not really immersed in it, when you're not really believing in the characters or or, or really bothered about what's happening with these characters. I think the actual point that's being made is not as impactful. So, um, yeah. And again, I think part of that possibly was the restrictions of Mattel just being, you know, we this is, at the end of the day, this is an advert, guys. So make your point, but don't, you know what I mean? Like, don't push it too much, I think. So, yeah. There's a couple of good points Alex made there. And I see what he's saying about Mattel's uh, involvement in this film. Of course, they produce it. This is their product. So they do get like a producing credit and they did get to vet the script. Um, but they didn't have as much control or rather they had control, but they weren't as hands-on as you might think. Uh, a lot of aspects of Greta Gerwig's script was not, were not what they were expecting. They were quite caught aback by a lot of the aspects, um, as particularly the fact that, you know, the film explores those controversial aspects of Barbie, you know, the unrealistic beauty standard and the body image and that sort of thing. The fact that it does go in and, and tackles those topics, but the way Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach wrote it, it is very cleverly done insofar as it stays loyal to the product at the same time and it still is respectful to the original product while addressing these issues that have come up over the years so i think although mattel when they got the first draft of the script they were a little uneasy about it because it does deal with a few things that they'd rather not uh, remember particularly some of the discontinued range of products you know uh, mattel and the guys behind barbie have made mistakes over the years there have been dolls that have been ill-advised that should not have been released you know i, I refer in particular to sugar daddy ken which was a <laughs> a gray-haired ken <laughs> with a with a cardigan wrapped around his shoulder basically and, and a you little dog no no they actually made sugar daddy ken that was real oh sugar daddy ken was an actual it was an older ken that barbie could be paired off with and yeah, so Sugar Daddy Ken, and, but they reference it in this film. Sugar Daddy Ken is played by Rob Brydon, 
and cameos briefly. He's he's near Weird Barbie's house with all the other outcasts, essentially that the company oh, tried yeah. to forget ever existed. And it's like, you see, we got we got Sugar Daddy Ken. It's like, no, no, and he's holding the little dog that his his doll came with. It's like, <laughs> no, no, this is Sugar. I am her daddy. I am her daddy. It is Sugar's daddy Ken, not Sugar Daddy Ken. And that is exactly how Mattel tried to pass that off in the eighties when all the blowback happened about that doll when that was released. And everyone was like, that's awful. You couldn't be encouraging girls to 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 do that. That's terrible. And they were like, no, no, no. It, it, it we left we left out uh, an S and an apostrophe. It's Sugar's daddy Ken. <laughs> that's a genuine argument that Greta Gerwig remembered. And included in the film. So it does lampoon Mattel as much as it does respect their product. It does take a swipe at them and at, takes a swipe at some of their more questionable business decisions over the years. Uh, so I think that it's it's great that they do that. And I think it's great that Mattel, as they said, it's like you've got to have a sense of humor about yourself. And they have allowed themselves to be parodied here. One of the main characters in the film is Will Ferrell, who plays the CEO of Mattel. And the boardroom of Mattel, to which Barbie goes to like, goes to see or kind of gets almost abducted and taken to i suppose once she gets out in the real world um it's it's comprised entirely of men quite naive childish men who, who don't understand really what the product is about uh led by will ferrell as you might expect and it's uh and yeah it's, it's a brilliant satire on what the mattel boardroom could have looked like and of course it doesn't look like that i'm quite sure but when mattel even though they've got a production credit over this they didn't stop themselves being made to look like fools at times and i think that self-satire that self-referential element of this film i think is what it, where a lot of its charm really lies and i i think america Ferrera's speech is great you know you can have a speech being made in in terms of a conference but in this term it's being made in terms of a film and i don't mind the medium it's being put across a good point is a good point regardless of the medium and i think arguably if you're going to include a speech like this in a big cinematic blockbuster release you're going to extend the reach and if the point that you're being that you're making is valid, which uh, Alex even admitted, it is a good point. This speech makes you've extended that reach to to how many people? And also in a kids' film, you've you've put that point across to young minds that are still being formed, that are still molding, and are still picking up ideas from the world around them. This That's is exactly example. what the Daily Mail said, Dave, <laughs> <laughs> but with a different tone of voice. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm They're much angrier about it. <laughs> Everything Dave said, but angrier. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, cheers for that, Dave. Uh, some nice touches and good comebacks on uh, on at least the speech and some of the satirical moments. Uh, Gav, I can see you itching to uh, to go. It seemed like you, we cut you short a little earlier. Um, seems like you've got a lot of gripes with with the film generally. Do you want to fire away some of them? Yeah, yeah. As I said in, in the sort of opening critique, my main issues with this film are the story. Basically, I, I don't really know what the main story of the film is. Uh, I, we have one element which you know we've covered before is that there's this Barbie land, which is this utopia for Barbies, but not so much for Ken's. It's this unequal society with Barbies being on top and Ken's being on the bottom. And then at the halfway point, as Dave mentioned before, there's a shift in balance where the Ken's bring the patriarchy to Barbie land and all of the Barbies are essentially brainwashed into becoming subservient. This is eventually resolved when Barbie frees the other Barbies and the final result is a more balanced society where Barbies and Ken's can live together. Now, that in itself could have been the movie, or maybe should have been the movie. 
However, we have this second big storyline running alongside it in which Robbie's Barbie is losing her spirit, as Dave mentioned before, and her enthusiasm and being physically altered because the little girl who is playing with her is depressed. Barbie then must travel to the real world to help her owner and put an end to Barbie's decline before it becomes irreversible. With this, you then get this very interesting fish out of water angle with Barbie encountering the real world and how it's full of problems and sexism and women have got it incredibly tough. Once again, this by itself could have been or maybe even should have been the movie. However, by combining both of these storylines, both storylines don't have adequate time to breathe and they essentially feel a bit rushed and a bit underdeveloped. With the former, the implementation of the patriarchy in Barbie land is done super quickly in the story itself. But for us, as the audience, it's also completed completely off screen as well. So it's instantaneous for us. For me, it's hard to believe that this entire society would crumble so quickly and that all the Barbies, including the president, would be so readily and happily essentially abdicate their positions to all these Kens and become subservient and even regress intellectually. Then the whole destruction of the patriarchy is done almost as quickly and feels very rushed or more rushed than it, than it should have been, essentially. With the latter storyline that I mentioned, it is even more hurried than the other one. Barbie arrives in the real world and there are ample opportunities to have fun with this fish out of water concept. But it's all explored within about the first 10 minutes of her being in the real world. We discover that the little girl, as Dave mentioned before, owns who owns the Barbie, doesn't actually play with Barbies anymore, but it's actually her mother, America Ferreira, the former owner who is depressed. Now, her daughter, who still appears in many of the scenes after this, is essentially relegated to this peripheral figure with little to no relevance in the film. When they all go back to Barbie land, you almost sort of forget that America Ferreira and her kids are still there. And there's so little for them to do. I just wanted more about her character, her depression, her relationship with her child, and shift some more of the focus onto her and less of it onto to Barbie and, and you know, sorting out Barbie lands, essentially. She sold at one point in the film as being the second or at least the third main character. But by the end of the film, she feels like a bit of an afterthought. And I just feel that there was so many missed opportunities with this storyline. You know, it had the potential to deeply explore how your life changes and about your relationships. Firstly, your relationship with, with toys and the excitement that that brings. And then as you grow up, the relationship you develop with yourself and then with your, your children and your significant others. I just feel like it was very glossed over. I also feel like there are other story elements which feel very underdeveloped and a little bit shoehorned in, if I'm being honest, like the Mattel bosses trying to capture Barbie. You know, there's, there's this plot point. It feels like it should be really good. It's like, oh, hang on. One of the Barbies has escaped. She's in the real world. We need to we need to capture her. We need to bring her in. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be like calamitous. This is going to be a bit of an adventure where they're searching all around the place trying to find this Barbie. This is resolved almost immediately, like the next scene, they capture it. Then she's taken to Mattel headquarters and they talk about, well, capturing it, putting her in a box and sending her off to a factory somewhere. Once again, I thought, oh, this is a really interesting story uh, point here. You know, we're going to hopefully see Barbie escape from this building or maybe escape from the factory and all of the peril that this will cause. Once again, 
instantly sorted out. I thought there was going to be some sort of Mission Impossible-esque segment where she manages to evade capture. She literally just runs out the door and that's that. Then Dave mentioned before, or sorry, Alex mentioned this really weird section in which Barbie meets Ruth Handler, the Barbie creator, who is living inside the Mattel headquarters in some sort of dreamlike Barbie dream house. Is it real? Is it not real? Who knows? And then there's the journey of the Mattel bosses over to Barbie land. For some reason, they all follow her back to Barbie land. I don't know, to prevent her from coming back maybe, or to try and figure out how they got over in the first place so they can stop it from happening again. Once again, could have been really interesting, could have been really funny. The reverse sort of fish out of water bit, you know, what would they act like in this Barbie utopia that is just completely <laughs> redundant, essentially. None of that happens. They're just there, and then the next bit, they've gone. And then Ruth Handler pitches up in Barbie land as well, seemingly out of nowhere. I don't know why. It seems just for this speech that Alex mentioned that before. But once again, the reason for it being there, it, it's not very well thought out or planned. So in conclusion, I think that Barbie could have been a really great and fun 95-minute movie if it just would have stuck to one key storyline. But by trying to focus on both at the same time, and then juggling all of these other superfluous plot points, it bloats the overall running time going over the two-hour mark. And instead of trying to adequately resolve these storylines in that time, I feel like they just spent more of, of the runtime trying to cram in more dancing or songs. So the story points don't have enough time spent on them and thus feel underdeveloped and rushed like essentially a Barbie doll that has been rushed through production and has ended up as some bald head on just a pair of legs. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I think that's fine, but I don't think not every kid wants that. to play with it. <laughs> I think not, that's a judge as well. Not your, not your finest analogy. But like the point, the points are understood. I get what you're saying. Is that they, you know, Dave. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of storylines tried to cram in here, try to capture. It sounds like they tried to capture a lot of the. Uh, the tropes that you see in in modern day films, and just maybe not giving any of them enough, uh, you know, enough time, enough credit, or just enough thought. Uh, what what are your feelings on on how that works? Is that a stylistic choice, or is that just a genuine omission? Uh, no, I think this is very much deliberate choice. I think this has been re- very well thought out. Like I said, this film was in development for some time. It, the script went through many inter- iterations before we eventually landed on this one. This has been very meticulously thought out, and these. Two stories, it is really just the two stories that we have to focus on, are intertwined perfectly. These two stories weave in and out. The reason why Ken returns to Barbie World having like uh, discovered more about patriarchy and, and what have you is because he follows Barbie to the real world in the first instance. That's needed. You couldn't just have it all set in Barbie Land or Barbie World where Ken just has this revelation. Where did that come from? Where did this revelation come from? Where did he discover the joy of horses and power ballads? He has to go out to the real world to find that. And that's what he has to do. And, you know, we've got to remember Gloria works for Mattel. You know, that element of the story is intertwined as well. I just don't think we need to dwell on too much of it. We don't need to, you know, we 10 minutes of Barbie being a fish out of water is more than enough. You know, we don't, don't need, this is a kid's film at the end of the day. The film that Gav was describing, as good as it sounds, could have been seven or eight hours long if we stay, stay too long <laughs> on many of these points. There's too much going on there. You can make the point and then move along. You can make the joke and then move along. And it doesn't mean it's not funny. It doesn't mean you've missed an opportunity. It just means you've condensed your time. You know, the bit you talk about the Mattel executives, for example, their return to Barbie Land, basically doing the reverse of the journey that Barbie and Ken had done earlier 
earlier in the film, I think is great. And you don't need to spend a lot of time with them as the fish out of water. Will Ferrell got one of the biggest laughs of the film for me, where uh, he, he comes out of the, out of the Barbie World house and just screams at Midge, just like, ah, oh, God. oh, it's just Midge. Oh, I'm sorry, Midge. I thought we discontinued you, but it's just like this. <laughs> I, I just thought it was just such a great random reaction. Just the <laughs> Emerald Fennel plays, plays Midge and just the look, she genuinely looked surprised. Like she didn't expect Will Ferrell just to scream at her as he comes out of the house. But it's just like such a random reaction, but I loved it. It got a big laugh from me. And um, yeah, I think the storyline more than realizes this potential, especially in the comedic elements of the film. I think there's some genuinely funny moments. I already mentioned like the self-referential elements of it, you know, the mistakes Mattel made with dolls like Sugar Daddy Ken. And also Weird Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon, who was just a doll that got played with a little too hard, and now she's now she's a little messed up, and the other ones think she's a little a bit strange, and she like lives in the, on the outskirts of town. And he did little production choices, you know, in Barbie Land, everything is very practical. It's all practical effect in Barbie Land. No CGI was used. It was all hand painted sets and lots of pink and what have you. They actually interesting bit of trivia. They actually. Uh, drained Roscoe, who's with the supplier of the pink paint uh, color Pantone 219, actually ran out of this color paint. They used it all. They already had supply issues, I grant you, but still, they <laughs> this production drained all that entire color of paint out wow. of America while this was being done. Um, and I think, you know, it's all practical effects. They've all designed these dream houses. That you know, It's all uh, practical scenery, hand-painted backdrops and what have you. And this element, you know, it makes... Um, it, I like that practical element of the film. And the thing about Weird Barbie is, another practical element is that all the Barbies are shot from behind. Very flattering lighting, just a standard production technique, apart from Weird Barbie, who is shot with lighting straight to the face, which gives it does make her seem kind of eerie and a bit odd. There's something very unsettling about it when you first meet her. And I like just that little technique that Greta Gerwig incorporated. It's like, no, 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 Weird Barbie's meant to be a bit off-putting lighter from the front just a little technique like that and i think it works it shows the level of thought that she has put in to this film into this film's characters and into this film's story and into this film's humor i think this is meticulously thought out i don't think you need to dwell on these points for too long i think every point is made to just the right amount that it doesn't outstay its welcome this is a kid's film remember make your point and be on with your way and then make another joke. And kids like dance routines. And you know what? I do too. I like the musical numbers in this film. <laughs> I think this film, it gives you just the right amount of everything. You know, you might like sugar if you're making a, a, a cake, but you put too much sugar in it, you're going to get diabetes, man. Can't overdo <laughs> it. You need just you need just the right amount of sugar in that cake. Just because it's nice. Base, as well as some milk. <laughs> <film. Exactly. laughs> Jesus is, Christ, Dave, you sound like a doctor. This is something Christopher Nolan and Ridley Scott should really take note of, my cake analogy. Just because sugar tastes nice doesn't mean you need to label it in. You use the right amounts. And that's what this film does. Everything in the right amounts. We're going to pass that over then to, to Alex. You know, we're talking there about some of the comedy moments and um, maybe you can touch on that and then lead us through into, uh, into some further arguments. Just why, why I shouldn't, why I should put this on the shit list. Yeah, just, I mean, just picking up on the point that David there was saying about it being self-referential. Again, it, it is all, it is too much, it is too self-referential. It is constantly self-referential. And I would say it brings you out of it. And again, you know, go back to that thing that Gav said about Disjointed. There are musical numbers in it, but they're very early on. And I don't really remember many musical numbers 
towards the end of the film, really. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just Ken is in the second half of the film. Is it in the second? But most of the film, most of the musical numbers are in the first bit. I, I'll be honest, I don't think it is meticulously well thought out. I think the first part maybe was, and then it, it does feel like it kind of just meanders a little bit. So I, I really don't feel like it was. Um, the cast is, I mean, to say it's ensemble is, you know, doesn't quite do its justice. Like, uh, Dave, don't do your, Dave, Dave, whenever we have an ensemble cast, Dave starts reading out the names. We'll be here all night. Like it is. <laughs> yes. This is a solid cast. It is a very, very solid cast. To the point where I'm looking down the IMDb and I'm honestly thinking like, was John Cena in it? Oh, yeah, he was in yeah, it. He's, you know, he's, in, that, Ken, yeah, he's yeah. in the surf bit. <laughs> but the, there are so many times when you're just like, whoa, that that. There really is a lot of big names in this. And, and Gav said it very well before. And it was like A-list faces with Z-list roles. Like it it does get to the point when you just like, do, do, do we really need to have John Cena just popping in? You know, there's cameos and then there's just constant cameos like Rob Bryden and stuff like that. It, it is it is a lot. I think the performances are, you know, from, from the central cast, you know, Ryan Gosling, I think does a good job. He is a good comedic actor. And I think he... Yeah, I think he does it well. Um, I think Margot Robbie, if I'm honest, I know, and I know this might be a little, I think she's very good as Barbie. I actually think she's oddly a foil a lot of the time for the other characters. So I think her comedy um, has obviously gone. Yeah, um, he's, he's had enough of your arguments. He's had enough, really <laughs> those As soon as you sort the knife at Robbie, he just quietly was like, no, I can't believe he's having a go at Margot Robbie. Um, I think cast-wise, Margot Robbie is a little underused. I know that's strange to say that Margot Robbie as Barbie is underused, but but I think that's true. I think she's often a foil for other characters. I think she starts off with this existential crisis and I thought, oh, that's fantastic. That's such a good idea. Like many of the things, as Gav said, many of the sort of plot points kind of end up not quite going anywhere. So, yeah, I wouldn't say it's not ever brought back in. But Barbie having an existential crisis is a really centrally interesting thing to happen. And I thought Margot Robbie would be is perfect for that because she is, you know, beautiful but she's also a very, very good actress and obviously very, you know, she, she could definitely play that part of the part of Barbie incredibly well and I just feel I just feel like it didn't really go into that too much I feel like again the Mattel thing sort of brings it back and says like we can't have Barbie going too existential you know we can't go too far with that you know you've got the the younger daughter of um Gloria who hates Barbie and you know again that's a really interesting thing could be a lot for um Margot Robbie to play against that, you know, a, a child who doesn't like her, how could she deal with that? And again, the plot sort of just meanders on and the child kind of accepts Barbie and boom, okay, we're okay with Barbie now and that's not really gone anywhere either. So I, I think as, as great as the cast is, we just kind of, it turns into halfway through just a scene of boom, Rhea Perlman's in it, boom, uh, Will Ferrell's in this film. And it's just like, whoa, another scene with a big actor and another scene with a big actor. And, and there are funny moments in those scenes. But they don't kind of let, they don't, like Dave was saying, it's layered. I don't feel like it does stick with its central point enough that you can have these characters being genuinely funny mm -hmm. because it doesn't explore enough of the themes it's bringing up. So I, I actually thought as good as the cast are and as, and as solid as they are, 
ended up at the end thinking, weirdly enough, I wish I'd seen more of Margot Robbie in this film. <laughs> and it's and it's a strange thing to think. I, I just thought I, I thought she I, I just thought she could she could have had a bigger role in the film Barbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I just I just want to add to what Alex is saying there, basically just completely agreeing with him. When this cast list was first announced over a year or so ago, there was a bit of a joke at the time that between this and Oppenheimer, every actor working in Hollywood had been hired by these two films. The cast list, as Alex said, is phenomenal, but with the exception of maybe America Ferrari, nobody really gives a performance there aren't any other characters of any note in this film there are there are characters in the same way that there are different barbie dolls as in you know this one's a police officer this one's a president this one's a mermaid but none of them have any characters of any note so as alex essentially said instead of having developed characters you just have a bunch of celebrities in a film and it just turns into a bit of a cameo spot exercise you're like oh look there's emerald fennell oh look it's john cena oh here's rob bryden it's great having such an impressive cast list but unless you give them anything of any substance to do you may as well have just replaced them with giant barbie dolls there's some some pretty uh solid arguments and everyone seems seems really quite confident in their uh the beliefs here so maybe dave there's a few bits for you to come back on i think um yeah i i see what gav saying about you may as well replace them with giant barbie dolls but remember that they are playing giant barbie dolls <laughs> and you know as as ryan gosling references you know he's beach ken it's just like this is this is what he does he is beach ken and that's what they all do that's president barbie that's dr barbie that's lawyer barbie that is what they do that is their personality and then the kids that play with them you fill in the rest you know the kids so again give them the characters and maybe change the name you know these are the template dolls these are just this is a career that explains the clothes they're wearing there you go there's the doll go play and essentially that's what these characters are you know the characters you see in barbie land are just they're plastic dolls essentially they don't have these particularly defined characteristics and i think that is deliberate because, you know, at the end of the day, you want the kids to be able to put their own sort of idea on how President Barbie should be. And, of course, you've got Issa Rae's uh, portrayal of President Barbie, but it is still a plastic doll. They're not going to be developed characters. They're not going to be that different from one another. I think the whole point is that they're not. And then, you know, you've got Beach Ken. It's just like, you know, when he goes to the real world, it's like, do they have Beach? And it's just like, you know, I'm not, I'm not lifeguard Ken. No, I'm just Beach Ken. You know, I don't have a job at the beach. My job is the beach. It's just, that's all he does. And he doesn't know how to do anything else. And that is kind of the life of the life of dolls, as it were. Remember, they're not playing human beings in the way that many films would have their cast by humans. These are dolls. They are playing dolls in in barbie world in, in plastic houses with plastic water and what have you you know so i i think the characters are portrayed brilliantly and i think they're written brilliantly with that goal in mind um i do think there are plenty of jokes and there is character development to an extent with characters like alan played by michael sarah who is ken's friend you know do you remember alan the doll no <laughs> no one really does and as michael sarah makes a point of his whole marketing behind alan was that he's the same size as ken so he can wear Ken's clothes. That's his thing. That's why that's all he was. He was just instead of marketing another Ken, they made Alan Ken's friend who wears Ken's clothes. And Michael Sarah plays this brilliantly as kind of a dis disaffected, kind of feeling a bit down on his luck sort of take on Alan. I thought it was great. I thought again, there's that satire in the self-reference, but done so cleverly. I think it's very funny. And I think the performances are great. We don't 
need to develop the characters. And insofar as there have been so many ca uh, cameos, there are because so many people wanted to be a part of this film. They just kept on handing out cameos. And to be honest with you, when you've got such a rich catalog of different kinds of dolls and different doll costumes that are out there, you can have so many cameos throughout this film. You know, John Cena only got the job because he ran into Margot Robbie in a restaurant and ended up paying for her bill as well as his own. And she was like, oh, we're making this film, but you should be in it. And he was like, yes, I would love to be in it. And then they rang him up the following day and said, like, do you want to be Mermaid Ken? He was like, absolutely. So that's how it happened. That's how John Cena got recruited. Do you ever think your life might be less interesting than other people's? Do you know what I mean? Do you ever... Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Very just bump so. into Margot Robbie. I just get yeah. a coffee and just like no one talks to me. I, and I, just I don't think anybody's ever paid for my dinner. <laughs> just bumped into yeah. me and go, oh, yeah. I'll be honest with you the rest of us. go out together, you always end yeah. up paying for everyone. <laughs> I was going to say, I went out with Gav the other day and I didn't pay for his dinner then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, the rest that Margot Robbie probably goes to, I don't think I could afford to pay for I don't think I could buy myself a drink at the bar, let alone pay for someone else's meal. I don't think, I don't think they'd let me serve food. <laughs> I don't think I'd get through yeah. the door. Truth be told. I don't even think they'd let me Mate. walk past the front of the shop. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'd shoot me on site. Let's just keep up in this as we go. <laughs> to, to, be, to be fair, like, Ozzy and I did go for a meal the other night, and our, our equivalent of Margot Robbie bumping into John Cena was that we both bumped into Big Dave's Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Big Dave's mom's lovely. I'd love to yeah. Did you go for a drink with her? Yeah, no, no, no. We just had a, a long you chat. Yeah, you, she, you, she was, you, never, you never meet up with the Big Dave's Yeah, mom. she was with her friends and uh, and we were uh, not. <laughs> if, if, you'd, <laughs> yeah. if you'd paid for their drinks, one of them might have cast you in their next film. That's how this works. That's how this works. But we digress. <laughs> My point I is. I got an yes, invite to his wedding. Yeah. <laughs> My point is, yes, there are a lot of cameos, but you know, I can't, I couldn't help but think back to Joel's old argument from Air Force One with Gary Oldman. It's like, I'd rather have Gary Oldman in this film with a terrible accent than Gary Oldman not be in this film at all. I would rather was have... Gary Oldman in it? I wish he was. He was. He might have been oh. an Oppenheimer. He, might yeah, he was an Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was. He was Truman. I told you. <laughs> I'd actually forgotten that. Yeah, he's, he's Truman in Oppenheimer. Yeah. He very much isn't that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's, I would rather have John Cena in this film for 10 seconds as a bit of a visual joke than not have John Cena in it at all. Mm -hmm. I would sooner have a comedic actor like Rob Brydon in it for just 30 seconds than not have Rob Brydon in it at all. These cameos work. This is part of the charm of the film. And even the cameos themselves could be considered funny. So, Alex, you're going to say something? No, just, you know, Joel's argument was I'd rather have Gary Oldman in it, but this is more like I'd rather have everyone in it than not yeah. have everyone in it. Exactly. <laughs> And I enjoy, I enjoy spotting these acts. Let's face it, it means nothing to the kids who arguably were the target audience for the main bulk mm -hmm. of this film. They don't care. But this keeps the, the adults entertained. It's like, ah, that's John Cena. Like yeah. kids these days might not know who John Cena is. They probably do. But yeah, everyone like, knows who John Cena is. Yeah, to be fair. Like, new, new, nobody new can see babies. him, but we all know who he is. Newborn <laughs> babies know who John Cena is. They come out doing the other. Yeah, even if he did appear in a cameo, we wouldn't be able to see it. But I, 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 I was, I just think that that would that would be really good. Having John Cena making ten second cameos in films as different sort of mythical creatures. I would love like, that, regardless of what the film is. I, I honestly would love that. Let's put it the John Cena's agent. We can yep. make it happen. <laughs> we can even like just like digitally put him in Lord of the Rings and stuff. Go back to <laughs> we have the right, not, even, not even like Lord of the Rings. Like put him in like the Shawshank Redemption or something. Just, <laughs> just the, the Godfather, Leprechaun Two, or whichever one he goes to space in. Yeah, yeah we'll put him in there. 
but it's uh, yeah okay so the point we've made there is that yes there's a lot of there are a lot of cameos in this this is a stellar cast and yet only a couple of them get like substantial screen time i would say but that's fine that's all there's meant to be you know you got barbie you got ken you got gloria and her daughter sasha they're really the only characters you need to focus on you don't need much more than that you know that like i say if we did focus on everybody this film is going to be too long kids are going to start losing interest i think adults will start losing interest this film got the levels right everything was like goldilocks level just right i did start losing interest <laughs> yeah well don't listen <laughs> before before our listeners lose interest shall mm-hmm. we do uh closing arguments i think i've got a lot of good stuff here oh, but I've... if there's anything you feel like you needed to um i feel i've made to mine. include i feel i've made mine. yeah I'm good. no worries then uh alex you can have a a very small, just a very short uh, one. I, you know, d- joking aside, I think Dave had a, Dave has made very good points there. Uh, I just, and I agree with it, and I agree with everything that happened in it, and it was, a, it's a lot of fun to it, and there's a lot of good act, good film snips, a lot of good actors in it. It felt a bit like a souffle. I, it was just going up and up and up and up, and then it just sort of collapses under its own weight, to be honest. And and as much fun as it is, and it, and and everything, and I agree with all of it, and it's great cast. I just wouldn't ever really, I can't see myself ever putting Barbie back on again at any point, to be honest. And and that's a shame. And I just think if a, a few little just narrative differences to mm-hmm. it, and I think I could have really loved it. Yeah, I, well, you know, I will take a quick closing argument, Ozzy, and all I'll say is don't listen to the patriarchy here. They're just trying to, <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to put you down, man. Don't, don't listen to them. Anything you got a film that is like, it centers on love and it centers on acceptance and it, it centers on people being all they can be. Look at that hoodie you're wearing right now. Look at that Barbie branded pink hoodie you're wearing. Look at it through your rose tinted glasses and tell me that this <laughs> film isn't a del- you're literally rose tinted glasses i've tell never that this film doesn't sound fun tell me this film doesn't sound different tell me it doesn't sound intriguing you know all you need to know about barbie and you're not going to be disappointed i mean just it's a it's a pity it's not a visual pod- podcast here but ozzy i've never thought of you as woke do you know what i mean <laughs> 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 don't start now until you know today what I mean? don't start. until now <laughs> don't want to get the low-hanging fruit but yeah <laughs> but he, you say you say woke but i mean he literally looks like he's ready for bed <laughs> that man looks like he could fall asleep right now ozzy <laughs> uh, also for people who've never seen ozzy would uh you know if he, if he ever met the you know anyone who worked in the daily mail it'd probably faint as he would <laughs> 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 oh, see, I've never actually thought about it until Dave just mentioned it. You do have rose tinted glasses. Do you did you buy them so everything can appear much better than it is? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I've moved up to uh, Glasgow, which is one of the greyest cities in all of Great Britain. So, uh, so the glasses really help to, uh, <laughs> to give it a little warm tinge. <laughs> well, but thank you, Ozzy. Uh, right, so uh, th- thanks everyone for the arguments. Just to quickly m- move us on, it's time for a quick quiz. Uh, we didn't initially have one written, so I've just slapped one together really, really quickly. And this quiz is all about toys in films. So fingers on the buzzers, guys. First question. Obviously, Ken is one of the major characters within this film, but Ken also appears in toy form in the third installment of Toy Story. But which actor voiced the character? Uh, is it Channing Tatum? No. Oh, so I'll give you a clue. He's an actor that is more famous for playing a, a superhero. Henry Cavill. Uh, oh, good guy. An original uh, sort of superhero film. Adam West. <laughs> Somewhere Gosh. in between those two. <laughs> Michael Keaton. There we go. Michael Keaton. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> well done, uh, Alex. Michael Keaton. Uh, number two, what was the name of the toy at the centre of the great uh, sort of toy buying frenzy in the Christmas film Jingle All the Way? Oh, it's a Turbo Man doll. There we go. I'm, I'm at the boulevard. I was just looking for Turbo Man. Anyway, uh, <laughs> well done, Dave. Um, question number three, what is the name of the tribe of peaceful monsters in the film Small Soldiers? Oh, oh Gorgons. Ooh, I'm going to give that to Ozzy. It's Gorgonites. Well done. Oh, oh look at these guys, eh? Three Good for three. question. Ozzy loves toy soldiers. Small soldiers. Small soldiers. Come on, Bruce. What did I say? Did I say small or toy? Uh, you'll find it's out when you toy. end it. I know, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to change it anyway, so it's right. <laughs> now, uh, Megan was released last year and became another smash hit for Bloom House. It's about an AI doll who becomes self-aware and obviously murderous. But what does M3GAN stand for? Uh, hang on, I should ask, did any of you watch the film? <laughs> I, did, I did. I went to watch it in the cinema when it oh, okay. came out. Here we but, go. I, but I don't remember what Megan stood for. Um, Mighty is the three M's, I assume, to be. No, so it's M3. no, it's M three, the the number three, uh, G A N. Right, no, so it doesn't matter. It's Model Three no. Generative Android. Uh, so oh, yeah. it's a shit name. <laughs> well, that's like why it. they call her Megan because <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful. That one, anyway. <laughs> Number five, uh, we're still all at one. No wonder one she's so each. fucking angry and goes off and kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a good acronym. I'm just going to go murderous. So, uh, number five, what is the name of the brand of toys that Chucky is a part of in Child's Play? Sound like a nice guy doll or something? Oh, like I'm going to give that to Dave. He's a good yeah. guy doll. Good guy, oh, well done, good guy. Oh, good wow. Guy doll. Well done. They couldn't have got it more wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2007, MGA and Lionsgate released a movie about a group of four teenage girls and the origin of their friendship and social pyramid. It was based on an incredibly popular series of fashion dolls at the time. But what was it called? Brats. Well done, Ozzy. Brats. Correct Very answer. Good, Ozzy. Well, Ozzy, you need a quiz about toys every week, I think. You need to get some sort of equal for the thing here. Now, question number seven. The iconic 80s toy and cartoon Transformers was made into an awful film by Michael Bay and has Take somehow... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm holding back the tears. It's somehow become a multiple film, billion dollar franchise. But which actor has voiced the iconic Optimus Prime since the very beginning in 1984? Oh, Peter Mullen. Near enough, Dave. You get Near the it. point. It's Peter Cullen. Peter Cullen. <laughs> Peter Cullen. Right, just one letter off. Okay, number eight in 2014. People thought, how the hell are they going to make a film about Lego? But the film actually went on to become a smash hit. Will Arnett famously played Batman in the film, but which actor played Lego Superman? Channing Tatum. There we go, Dave. Well done, <laughs> Channing Tatum. <laughs> Brilliant. I was well like, am, I, am I just got you, Channing Tatum on the brain you, right now? Get him in it? there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what you don't realise is I've edited this. Dave has answered Channing Tatum for every answer <laughs> so far. <laughs> Number nine. In 2012, people thought, how the hell are they going to make a film all about Battleship? 
And then everyone realized that they, they couldn't. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking terrible idea. <laughs> but which singer made their acting Rihanna. debut? Rihanna. Well done, Alex. Rihanna is the correct answer. What do you call a debut, but also like your end as well? What, what... <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question. And it's there's still something in it for everyone here, I think. In 2013, Hasbro and MGM tried to save the G.I. Joe franchise by essentially killing most of the cast from the first film, (laughs) (laughs) but also by bringing in the probably biggest action star of the time, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, into the film. However, which other action superstar do they bring in to try and make the film more interesting? Channing Tatum? Or was he already in it? (laughs) He was one of the ones that killed off. (laughs) No, you're on the right lines, though. With regards uh, to hairstyle. Hairstyle. Bruce Willis. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Really? Bruce Willis. A funny story is that uh, they wrote Channing Tatum out. They basically were like, we're going to murder all the cast. But in between deciding that and filming it, Channing Tatum had uh, astronomical success with stuff like Magic Mike and 21 Jump Street that they were like, shit. We've killed off essentially a big star at the moment. So they had to go back in and write extra scene, basically just like have him just <laughs> this one bring scene, him back in. Yeah, there's one scene where he's just playing on the computer in the Rocks house. And it's just like, <laughs> what are you up to now? Uh, can you can you spare us like 20 minutes just to shoot another scene? I don't know, just sit there and eat a sandwich, whatever, anything. <laughs> Anyway, right, uh, apologies. Uh, Dave, I think you just about won that. Um, actually, no, I think Dave and Alex, it was a draw. But Ozzy, very, very good, very good fight there. Uh, hats off One to of you. The best showings, I think. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, and uh, yeah, back to Ozzy. Thank you. Grant, no, cheers for the quiz. That was uh, really well done. That's a short notice. Uh, I would never have known that you were doing it in the background. So good work. Cheers, guys, for the arguments. Um, it was surprisingly a lot to think of, considering how much pink I'm wearing and have surrounded by me. Um, I've even brought out all of you know the art of Barbie books. I've got like a compendium of every Barbie doll just in case we reference something and I needed to uh, bring it up. <laughs> I was hoping Sugar the Daddy quiz Kenan. was going to be on Barbie dolls, you know. So um, so I was well prepared for that. Um, but yeah, I actually thought there were some really good arguments uh, on both sides, I, and I can see some of the um, you know some of the some of the things Dave was saying is that it's, you know it's a massive satirical look. Uh, I think that's a, a you know, a nice surprise of what the film was about. It was very much marketed to be a kid's film. It was, you know, another Barbie. Um, there's loads of Barbie cartoons, which are, you know, saccharine, sweet, very much aimed at kids. So it would make sense that this would be aimed at kids um, and for it to not be and to have enough adult content in there um, and, and other jokes within it. I think it's a really, um, it's quite a refreshing take. Um I can I can understand the arguments that the prosecution made about well, not every story was given enough um, enough time to really build it out. There were a lot of very uh, you know important uh, plot points that seemed to touch upon and then disappear. But actually, I think the prosec- uh, the, the defense made a good point that it's 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 still a kids' film in essence, and because a lot of these things are dealt with in other films and it is a satirical take, you only really have to give passing you know comment towards them that you already know what the joke is we've made the joke very quickly now we can move on and get on to another joke you don't need us to to rehash a scene from uh you know from another film you've seen before so it it, it i i think that, that that's a win for the defense on that side um you know a lot, lot of potential gav mentioned but it never really 
lives up to it. it um, but I think overall, you know, across all of these arguments, they've sort of shot it down. And um, and I love to judge these from a, a very non-biased point of view, but um, a little harder today, however, harder. <laughs> I didn't really, I came into this with a bit of a clouded judgment. And, uh, and, and I think you guys did do a very, very good job of making me look at it from some fresher eyes but overall i am leaning towards the defense and saying that this is a hit i think this is one of the best films that i saw uh last year mm-hmm. it was um i think it was genuinely very <laughs> you, just, you just completely lost any sense semblance of sort of you know <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no impartiality there at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I no, I mean, you genuinely, you were you were actually. <laughs> you know, it, it was Dave's to to lose, and I think you guys did do a very very good job of yep. um uh, of putting some some interesting points to me, which I wouldn't have considered. It was uphill. Um, you are wearing a you know really big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like uh, after you know a week long trial. The judge coming to a decision of being like, <laughs> yeah. "Thank you very much for that." Uh, but, but actually, I saw... that's my uh, brother on the. Tr- <laughs> yeah. on the... You, you did murder my son, so. I just saw him do it. He did it in front of me. <laughs> yeah. This one's for you, judge. Stab, stab, good stab. arguments, really good arguments, guys. Well done. Right. <laughs> thank you very much for for summing that up <laughs> so eloquently, Ozzy, and thank you very much, everyone, for your arguments let's hear our real thoughts though i'm going to start with alex uh i i like barbie probably more than you know this this podcast would show uh, i do think you know it wasn't a spot on but I, I think probably going in i was hyped up by it like i'd, I'd waited until it was streaming i as gab had said i had not gone to see it at the cinema so i was waiting for it to come on and yeah i just thought oh this is going to be absolutely amazing and i think my expectations were just a bit too high I thought it was good, um, but I, I just thought it got a little muddled, and, and I think it started off more promising than it ended. I, I feel like the last 15 minutes is a lot of people speaking and sort of just making monologues, and, and I don't really know what's going on, to be honest, uh, and, and I a little bit stopped caring. Uh, so I think it's a very good film, but um, yeah, for, for me, it's definitely not a perfect film either. Okay, thank you very much for that, Alex and Dave. Um, yeah, I, I think I meant pretty much everything I said. I, I liked Barbie. I did. I mean, um, I probably don't feel as passionately as some others might, you know, I know a lot of people adored this film when it came out and I liked it, but I went in with quite, un, unlike Alex, I went in with quite a neutral view. Um, cause I did, I did the whole, like I say, Barbie Heimer thing. So I'd already been to see Oppenheimer. So I needed this to, to G me up a little bit. Cause that was quite, quite a dark film. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the levity of it. I enjoyed the, the referential uh, nature of it all. I, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And I think that was a nice surprise, but also I think I benefited from seeing it in a cinema where, you know, the, the crowds are, it was a full cinema. It was absolutely packed people of all ages and everyone just laughing and enjoying the film. And it was just like, this was, this was nice. This is almost like, you know, COVID never happened and we got cinemas back and this is what a cinema experience should be like. So I think I really enjoyed watching the film in that surroundings. And I, I enjoyed it. I think they did a brilliant job. Perfect? No, it, it's not perfect by any stretch, but very few films are. And I think this one does a very good job with the material it had available. So, yeah, definitely hit this for me. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Dave. 
Um, yeah, I mean, um, I think I might have been a little harsh with regards to what I was saying. I, I did a sort of list of my top films of last year, and I think I think Barbie was was definitely up there, even if, if not the, the best film for, for me. I, I I genuinely loved it. I think I wasn't I, it's, I wasn't expecting too much from it. I, I, obviously, I thought that it was going to be a good film, but I didn't think it was going to be absolutely amazing. I just thought that that the Greta Gerwig had such a task at hand. Basically, there was this film that had gone through. I know Dave said it hadn't, but a bit of development hell. It essentially had ten or so years of getting passed from director to director, different writers, different stars, different producers coming on board. Then you essentially had to create a film that would you knew in a way was going to get panned by certain sections of audiences for what it was about, but then have a film that would appeal to everybody, regardless of gender, regardless of age, and then have a film that was not just a comedy, not just what everybody was expecting. Ah, yeah, obviously, but also something much, much bigger, something that had a real message that was incredibly well delivered. And I think by doing all of that successfully is very, very admirable. But then it going on to become one of the biggest grossing films of all time, essentially becoming the first billion dollar film ever directed by a woman. It's absolutely amazing achievement. And I think it deserves all of the plaudits and all of the awards that it is currently getting and that it is probably due to get with the Oscars. So yeah, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe adding a lot more expectation if nobody's seen, seen it yet. I've just yeah, you, piled you liked on. it. Yeah. It's fine just to say you liked it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. It was all right. <laughs> okay, I roll over then our previous film on trial, technically, which was technically Heat, which scored eighty three percent and ninety four percent critical and audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, high scores, very high score. I'm going to say higher, but I also know that this had some real vehement opposition to it it so review bombed or whatever they call it yeah Yeah, i think maybe audience slightly lower but i think critical just as good yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, you're both right yeah i mean you're all right for the same reasons essentially 88 percent critical and 83 percent. but as you said it did get a lot of review bomb even before it came out onto the cinema you had idiots but when I was like, you know, when I was looking at it, because to be honest, uh, as much as I was going at Barbie, it wasn't easy to think of criticisms of it. You know what I mean? It didn't just jump to my mind. So I had to go online and, have, you know, get some, uh, you know, some help. Inspiration. Yeah. And it was no I, inspiration I do that as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, only when I can't, but honestly, the, the criticism of Barbie, it, was, it wasn't inspirational. And it was, it was stuff that, you know, you know, just like, oh, you had to sift an awful mm. lot of nonsense to get anywhere near something that was actually talking about the film yeah. and not someone, you know what I mean, just like, yeah. going crazy about whatever they were, you know, popping off at. It was, it yeah. really wasn't focused on the film at all. It was. It's like when you accidentally look at a Daily Mail article online yeah, yeah, yeah. and you scroll down to the comment section. Essentially, it's that in review form. Oh, man. My, my, oh, my no. algorithms really got hurt by, you know, by typing in Barbie criticism. It's like, oh, God, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be getting now. It's That's it now. Weird. Every time you go on YouTube, you're going to be recommended Jordan Peterson videos. Owning <laughs> feminist <laughs> compilation 34. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. Thank you very much for your arguments, guys. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you to everybody who has listened to this episode. Hopefully, we did Barbie justice. Uh, we're going to continue putting other massive films of 2023 yeah. on trial. 
Oppenheimer, I'll have to wear my foot Christopher Nolan snuggie. Snu- <laughs> <laughs> I've got a radiation suit I can wear. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I already look like I've received lots of <laughs> radiation. <laughs> yeah. I just picture wear less makeup than I usually do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as Alex alluded to there, in two weeks' time, we are going to return with Oppenheimer. If you want to check out any other film on trial content check us out on filmsoftrial.co.uk any uh, so- social media platform basically film trials at twitter and films on trial and everything else and what, what, what have we learned today well essentially alan can wear all of ken's clothes and it's sugar's daddy not sugar daddy ken <laughs> <laughs> but we've also learned that barbie is a hit and we're going to be Back in those ears in two weeks' time with our review of Oppenheimer. Goodbye. If I if I if we ever have a boy, and you know, hopefully I won't try to, but if I ever lose him in like Marks and Spencers or something like that, I just want to go up to the assistant and go, I abandoned my boy! I abandoned <laughs> my child. <laughs> I also love it if you like to after you've found him, you take him for like burgers and something, and it's like, I drink! Your milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the amount of times I've quoted that since. Like, and, and it, it refers to anything as well. You know, if you have a little sip, your partner's whatever, at any yeah. point, you could be like, I drink your wine. <laughs> I drink it up. <laughs> <laughs>